I remember a few years ago, I saw a news story about all these people who live as adult babies. Have you ever seen these videos online? Adult babies, okay? Now, these adult babies, it's, it's, it's truly uh, ridiculous. They wear diapers. They build big cribs to sleep in. They have big high chairs that they sit in. They have people feed them food. And it's, it's one of the most ridiculous things you've ever seen. And I guess that's why it got on the news. But if you think about what Paul's argument was in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, what he was saying to those people is he's saying, you ought to be eating meat, you ought to be eating what grown-ups eat, but you're still, eating, you're still feeding on milk, you're big babies. You are big babies. And at some point, can you imagine this 30-year-old man who enjoys living as a child? Can you imagine him sitting in a crib? And he has this thought, like he's struck with this epiphany where he thinks to himself, you know what, maybe I should strive to be a husband and a father, and maybe I don't need to be acting like a baby, maybe I need to get a wife and get married and and have my own child. There's a thought, you know, that happens to us every now and then where we realize we're walking the wrong way. For the most part, if you run across a mature Christian, they have had a moment like that. Like there, you can talk to them and say, I was saved, but there was a moment when my, my spirituality, thank you, where my spirituality, where, where I was going along like this, and I had this moment where it went like this, where I just jumped up a level, because they have this realization that they don't want to stay this way. They don't want to stay as immature but they want to grow up. They don't want these best days of their life to be wasted when they could give them to Christ. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about seeing Braxton be baptized, isn't it? And any of these younger people be baptized. Now, is it amazing if we had a 99-year-old person come in here and, and become a Christian and be baptized, would we rejoice? Absolutely. That's wonderful. They were, they were snatched from the fire at the last moment. But, but I love the idea of Braxton going to heaven, standing before the Lord and saying, I have my whole life to lay down before you because I gave my life to you when I was a little boy. I'm going to live my whole life for Jesus Christ and, and give that to him. Not to mention that living for Christ from a very early age will cut down on so many regrets because he will spare you and protect you from so much of the heartache if you will just obey him. Hebrews chapter 6, 1, as Paul has talked about them being big babies and that they need to grow up, the next verse he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Let us leave this elementary stuff and go on to maturity. And that's where I want to continue with some thoughts about maturing in Christ to answer the question, what do we do about it now? If we're convicted, when I'm convicted by a sermon, when I'm convicted by a conversation, when the Holy Spirit is convicting me that things need to change, what do I do? Well, here's the good news. You don't have to do it alone. Notice what Paul says. Let us leave. Let us go on. Growing in Christ, the great thing about it is it's a group project. It's a team effort. That's why the church exists. That's why when you get saved and you get baptized, you get baptized into Christ, but that's also your entry into the church. Mark Dever said, when a person becomes a Christian, 
He doesn't just join the local church because it's a good habit for growing in spiritual maturity. He joins the local church because it's the expression of what Christ has made him. When you become a Christian, you become a member of the body of Christ. It's a group effort. It's a team effort. We have this individualistic understanding of what it means to be a Christian because people have told us our whole life, they've said, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And we've taken that to mean I need to have a private and individualistic uh, relationship with Jesus. But that's not what the Bible says. Listen to what Paul says. Just as the body has many members, and all are members of the body, though, though are many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in the Spirit we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks. Slaves are free. We're made the drink of one Spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Uh, he goes on to say, if the eye, said, cannot, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you, because the feet would say, well, how are you going to walk around if you don't have me? It's a group effort. It's, it's something we do together. We are part of the body of Christ together. God has so composed the body, the apostle says, giving greater honor to some parts, less honor to others. The parts of greater honor give uh, honor to the lesser parts, so there's no division in the body. We're together in it. That the members may have the same care for one another. That if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We can take that out to some logical conclusions, can't we? If one member is immature, we're all immature in a sense. And if one is mature, they can bring the others along. Because we're, we're part of the body of Christ, even though we're individually members of it. So what does personal relationship with Jesus mean? What it, that actually means is that you relate to Jesus the way you would a person. That Jesus can be your friend. That's so much better than saying you need to have a private relationship with Jesus. You're on your own. Nobody likes to be on their own. God's not even on his own, is he? There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. He's designed us to operate and function in community. And so we, we relate to God the way we relate to a person. We can have a relationship with him. That's a wonderful invitation to come to Jesus, that you might have a relationship with him, that you might know him. And so a, a Lone Ranger Christian doesn't mature because that's not how God has designed us to mature. Now, it's true that somebody else's faith can't save you. It's up to all of us. At some point when we hear the gospel, we all have a responsibility to receive that and to obey it, to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. But the Christian who says, I don't need the church, or the Christian who runs it down, and the Christian who denigrates the church is an immature Christian that doesn't understand what he is or she is. But to understand what the church is, to understand the mission of the church, that is a step toward maturity. So what is the mission of the church? I'm, I'm going to run through these really fast. Colossians 1, uh, I'm going to make it down to 28, but let me start in verse 24. So Colossians 1, 24. Now Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Remember, we're in this together. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Not that, not that Christ didn't do everything he needed to do, but Paul's saying that 
I'm now suffering for Christ, for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That it's a joy to take on and share the sufferings of Christ. He says, of which I became a member, uh, excuse me, a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul's talking about it. I am a minister to the church. I'm a minister for Christ. My job is to proclaim this amazing uh, mystery. And then he says, him we proclaim. This is what the church does. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I'll tell you this, I am not mature in Christ. Um, I would not say that, but I would say that I want to be mature in Christ. And, and there's, a, there's a great thing to understand if you feel discouraged as a Christian and you, and you look at all the failures and you look at all the losses as opposed to the wins, is a great thing to always stop and remember, what do I want? What, what does my heart really want? And if your heart really wants Christ, and if your heart is to desire to mature, let that encourage you if you've got nothing else to encourage you. Let the desire of your heart encourage you and get back up and turn around and go the right way if you're going down the wrong path and you're saying, I'm going this way, I don't wanna go this way. That's, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Repent and turn around and go the other way. And you can do that on a dime. You can do that right in the middle of a conversation. I don't even talk on, talking like this. Go another way. Okay. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The mission of the church, what we're doing, why we're here today, why we live as members of this church in a covenant community is so that we might tell everyone about Jesus Christ. That's the proclamation ministry. That's going out uh, and, or having a service that we can invite anybody to, and we are proclaiming uh, Jesus Christ and the salvation uh, of Jesus Christ to everyone in the world. So we're proclaiming, and then we are, he says, we're warning, we're admonishing, your Bible might say that, that Greek word is nutheo, that, that, that's the idea of counseling somebody of taking the truth and applying the truth to what they're going through in their life, okay? So that they might uh, know Christ and know how to follow him and mature. So, as a member of this church, since we're not doing this alone, and I'll cover teaching here in just a minute, uh, as a member of this church, what I have to realize is that I'm not here just for my own maturity. You know, if I was gonna show up just for my own maturity... There's a lot of times I might say, I'm feeling pretty good about my spirituality. I'm doing a lot better than a lot of the other people, right? Then that would show that you're not mature. But you might decide that you're just going to skip out. But when you realize that uh, you're, you're a member of this church, not just for your own spiritual growth, but that you might help others grow spiritually, that's another motivation to be here and to, and to take part and to participate and to be enthusiastic about it. So... Let's hit a little bit more of the application of these verse, verses. So uh, we've talked about this is not a group project, okay. And then when you look at those words, proclamation, warning, and teaching, there's a lot of work that goes into maturing people so that you can present them mature. 
Maturity doesn't happen passively. Maturity doesn't happen just naturally. Now, it does happen naturally that if you have a baby and you give that child enough goldfish, crackers, and juice, what's going to happen? They're going to grow up. They're going to get bigger. Okay, it's amazing. I, I said, Braxton, how old are you? I remember when Braxton was in a little uh, car seat. And, you know, remember Braxton and Ollie when they were so little and all the hair. And I was saying when I was trying to baptize Braxton, I had to work extra hard to get the hair down. Because those, those, I don't know what happened to Jody, but those Wales kids, they, <laughs> they got a lot of hair. And so I was trying to get, get, get him down there. And, and he's wearing an eight and a half size shoe and he's five foot tall and he's in the third grade. Okay, that's a lot of goldfish and juice. But naturally, what happens if you're a baby, naturally, according to nature, you grow up. That's how nature works. But spiritually speaking, what kind of nature do we have? We have a sin nature. And we get saved, and what kind of nature do we have? We have a new nature. But the sin nature is still there. The new nature and the old nature are in there together, and that old nature is strong. And that old nature wants to go back to what's comfortable. And it's enticing to be controlled by the old nature. That's why you have to every day constantly put on the new nature. Well, it's work to put stuff on. It's like when you put on clothes. You don't just walk out of the house dressed. You have to decide what you're going to wear. That's how the Christian life works. What are you going to wear? So it's constant decisions and, and choices. It just doesn't happen. You just don't do nothing and get bigger. Okay, it's, it's like you've got to work at this. Okay, now your work is not going to save you or take you to heaven. Only Christ's work can do that. But you're given the Holy Spirit in your heart, and you're, given, you're, you're let loose from the bondage of sin so you can choose to do what you want to do. What will you put on? What you, will you wear? Will you wear the, the clothes of the old nature? Will you wear those grave clothes? Or will you put on the new suit? So maturity doesn't happen passively for a believer. You're not alone. You're a member of the body of Christ. And the goal of the church is to present everyone mature. So we talk a little bit about the method. We preach, we announce, we herald Jesus. We warn, we counsel, we admonish, we reason with people based on the truth of God's word. And then what we do in the church is we, uh, we impart knowledge about the scripture. We teach in lots of different kinds of ways. A lot of word work. If you want to have a nice yard, you do a lot of yard work. If you want to be a mature Christian, you've got to do the word work. Some of that's going to be very formal, like coming into church, singing some songs, listening to me play my guitar badly. And then we're going to sit here and listen to me preach the gospel to you. This is a formal way that you can be discipled and the formal way that you can mature. But that's not the only kind of, uh, of Bible study. There's also studies that are less formal, stuff that you do at work, stuff that you do at home. You gather a friend together, the people that really want to learn God's Word. You know, I feel like I'm always having to make you go to Bible studies. People that really desire to mature and know God's Word will do that on their own. Why? Because they're not babies. And they're grown-ups and they can do grown-up things. And they can decide, I need to get together with some people that I love and trust. Let's get together and read the Bible and, and study. So we're going to engage with God's Word in dynamic ways. Some formal, some less formal. This uh, explicit Bible study that we're going to do, this is a great way to do some, some different kinds of Bible study. Uh, so this, this is the workbook. If you want to participate in this, it's $15 the family maximum is $30 if you've got kids, and we don't want you to pay 100 bucks to be a part of the class. But every day, you will have Bible verses to read, things to reflect on. Do you see what that sounds like? That's homework, right? 
Nobody likes homework. But what happens when you do your homework? You get smarter. Okay? And those kids, they can't see. Why do I have to do my homework? Why do you? And the adults say, just do it. Trust me. It's good for you. All right? You're going to learn something. It's going to help you on the test. Well, we're, we're, we're having an opportunity here. You'd have five days of homework. Come together. Discuss. See a video that will help explain what you've been studying all week and kind of tie it all together. We'll do that in people's homes. If you just find those clipboards and sign up, we'll do that in people's homes. So that means there's going to be snacks. You know, if the Bible won't get you there, maybe the snacks will. But it's going to be a a, a less formal way to, to kind of interact with other people and discuss what God is teaching you throughout the week. You, don't you think that's going to grow you as a Christian? And people say, well, I don't, I don't do stuff like that. I don't do, I don't do stuff like that. Well, babies don't do a lot of stuff either. But when you're growing up and you're maturing, we can try new things. You know, you can try some broccoli. won't kill you. <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time now. But what about when we do read the Bible? When we do read the Bible, the goal sometimes for Christians is we just think, I need to read more Bible, I need to read more Bible, I need to read more Bible, I need to read... The goal is not to simply read more Bible or just to get more knowledge and, and facts in your head. The goal of reading the Scripture is that the Holy Spirit might use it to make you mature and to, and, and to make you live for Christ. So the goal is not just to read more. The goal is not to get smarter or get righter. The goal is to mature in Christ. James one twenty two is one of those verses that comes to mind. But when's the last time you really looked at that verse? James one twenty two. But be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only, comma, deceiving yourselves. We always leave that out. We're like, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Be a doer of the word. We don't ever say, don't, don't, be, don't lie to yourself. That's what, that's what, it's in that verse. There's a comma, be doers, not hearers, comma, deceiving yourselves. What he's really saying is don't lie to yourself. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away. At once he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Listen to this, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and he doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. It doesn't say that pure religion is just reading the Bible more and more and more. But what does does reading the Bible produce? It should produce that pure religion. It should produce a change in the way that we act, think, and feel. Fifthly, the doer of the word has a different kind of mind. The demonstration of maturity in the Christian is something that works from the inside out. Okay? How do you get saved? How does it happen? Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. 
Because that's something God's doing on the inside that's going to work its way out. I'm going to put my spirit in you, and it's going to work out that you obey me and listen to me and read my statutes and do what they say. So we have a new heart that gives us new desires. I will cause you to do this. How? How does God cause us to do things? He gives us different desire. You want different things. When that spirit is in you, that's one of the ways you know you're a Christian, that, that the spirit's inside of you, is you want different things than you did before. But we still have this mind that fights with that new nature. And we have this mind that thinks in a very worldly way. So one of the hardest things is to learn to think biblically and not according to the wisdom of the world. So one of the things about maturing is that you develop a different kind of mind. And when I say that, what I'm meaning is the mind of a Christian thinks differently than the mind of a worldly person. Where are you on this? Let me do a test. Let's do a test. I'm about to make some of you real mad, maybe. So let's just say I was in a church that was predominantly full of conservative Republican voters. Let's just pretend like I was, all right? Y'all there? <laughs> okay, that was a joke, but this may not go well. <laughs> if I said to you, Christianity doesn't fit into America's two-party system, So now I could offend people in both parties. A Christian trying to live out biblical teaching in either political party is going to find themselves an outsider to some extent because they're going to be at odds with the platform when they compare it to the Bible in both parties. So I can say that. I can say that. And and you're in church, so you know to amen, right? (laughs) But when I say something political, or when somebody says something political, The question is, what is our first instinct? Because I I know what mine is. I mean, I could be a pretty political animal. I mean, I'm an attorney, studied the Constitution. I've got a lot going on in my brain when I'm analyzing what people are saying about uh, policy and things like that, political ideology. But what is our first instinct whenever we hear a conversation like that? Is it to think about what the Bible says? Or is it to think about our political ideology? I'm just, I'm saying like, when, we're, when we get into the heat of a conversation, the heat of a moment, what brain do we think with first? Does that make sense, the, the, the experiment? Is it the Christian mind or is it the worldly mind? Which worldview, which lens are we looking through? And see, that's the difficulty. That's why it's hard to be a Christian. Um, when we see pictures of people streaming across the border, now this, this is, I tried to think of one where I really probably fail in this area. When we see those pictures, do we first think politically or, or do we think like Jesus? Now, I struggle there because my first mind is like, you're breaking the law, you're this, you're this. And it's true, isn't it? It's true. Okay? So we got to figure something out there, right? We got to figure out how to protect the border and, how, and have, have a fair system of immigration, all these things. We got to enforce the rules we have on the books. I don't know whether to be more angry at the people coming over or the people that are letting them come over. I don't know, right? But here's what I want to train my mind to do. Not to say none of those things matter. Do those things matter? Yeah. I mean, at some point you do that too much, you're not going to have a country. I don't know what that was. <clears throat> you do that too much, you don't have a country, right? But I want my first, I would love for my first instinct when I see those pictures is to think, golly, those people have walked 5,000 miles and, and if they died today, 
they might spend eternity in hell. Like, what is the, isn't, that would be the gospel lens, right? So we can't say one doesn't matter, but maturity would first look through the spiritual lens and then take that gospel lens and connect it to all of life, including our political lives. But we don't want to take our political positions first and then try to make that affect our faith because then we're going to be at odds. So you see the difficulty of actually maturing is you have to learn how to watch and listen to things and, and filter it through the lens of the gospel. So a mature believer first thinks, what is happening in this world in terms of the fall? Why is all this stuff happening that's disturbing us so badly on the news? Because this world is full of sinners. Every single person in this world is a sinner, and they all need Jesus Christ. So yes, we need to pray for our country, but we need to pray for this whole world. Because this whole world is fallen, it's sinful, it's broken. There's the power of evil in this world, and we know that everyone needs a Savior, and we know we need a Savior. And we know that there, but for the grace of God, we go. And we need to think of the work of Christ, the role of the church to care for the poor, the duty of the Christian to honor and obey the king, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. We have to be engaged in all these processes. We have, to, we're, we have the truth. So we have to take the truth and we have to say, here's the way the policies need to work according to what God has told us about what causes human beings to thrive. We have to learn how to balance interests and have a country. Because in this country, we are the government. And we have to understand the limits of government, what government can do and what government was never designed to do. And so we have to engage in all of these things as a believer first because your first citizenship is not in this kingdom. But you will be the best citizen of this kingdom if you're a citizen of heaven first. So I'm not saying don't be engaged. I love it when y'all are engaged. I love having these conversations. But I'm just saying always engage in it as a believer first. And, and I'm saying that more probably to me than anyone else because I struggle with that so badly. Uh, but, but I want to connect what I believe about the gospel to everything in life. The mature believer is, a, is measured by how he reacts to things as well as how he acts. So that we just kind of did an experiment there. So how do, how do I respond when things don't go my way? How do I respond when I'm sinned against? How do I respond to the sinful behaviors of other people? Do I have a teachable spirit? You know what Mike Tyson's famous for saying? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? So, yeah, you got a plan. You're like, oh, I'm feeling this one, Brother Chad. I'm feeling it. I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to be a mature Christian. And then, and then you're going to be called on by the Holy Spirit to love somebody who's absolutely unlovable. You're going to get punched in the face, and you're going to think, I'm not so sure about all that growing up. I need to go back to the crib. (laughs) But Jesus, think about how he focused much of his ministry on the way his followers should act to persecution, hatred, and hostility. And that the Christian is not to return evil for evil, but he's to love his enemy. Well, that's a mark of maturity, isn't it? So we're we're measured as Christians... Yes, how we act, but there's a large part of maturity that is how we react. You know, is everything going swimmingly and then for the first person that upsets you, you take your marbles and go home? That's what a child does. 
But the mature person, he doesn't sin when he's sinned against. He doesn't sin when things don't go his way. He has a teachable spirit. He realizes, maybe I should submit to this because maybe this is right. Number seven, the maturity of a believer is... I only have eight, so I'm almost done. The maturity of a believer is demonstrated by consistency, not perfection. The, The maturity of a believer is demonstrated by consistency, not perfection. You think about what Paul said. He said, uh, we want to attain the unity, of the, this is in Ephesians chapter four. What we want to do is we want to be mature. We want to attain unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God. We want to be mature. We want to reach the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and evil schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into, into Christ. What is he saying there? Well, it's really hard to be mature when you keep waffling back and forth, when everything sways you this way or sways you this way. I've come, I've told people, several people this lately, as I'm getting older, approaching 50, just truly, when I see myself on YouTube or something, I can't believe how much gray hair I have. And, but, but one benefit of it is like you've been around a little bit. You see some things, like certain things that mattered to you don't matter to you anymore. And certain things that didn't matter to me matter to me a lot now. What matters to me a lot right now is just steady people. I mean, the people that are just, that you can always count on them to never change, you know? That you don't, you don't go up to them one day and, and, and have a great conversation and go up to them the next day and they're a different person. You know, the people that you can count on you know, I kind of, I know people complain about this, but I, I, I love it that I can just like look back there and I know where Dan Winningham sits, you know? I don't know if he can hear me now, but I, I, got, I know where Dan sits, right? I look over here, I know where Melody sits. I know, I, I, when you're gone, I, I, like I, t- I took a picture of all these people. Uh, I took a picture last week, I was like, and I sent him a text during the middle of church, Gosh, it sure looks bare when you're not here, Mark said. I bet the singing really suffered while we were, while we were gone. But hey, but hey I, I love the fact, that, like I've come to appreciate that now, that people kind of have their place where they sit and that they're there, you know, and that they're there and they're encouraging people and they're just doing what they do. How, how would our church function without Dan Van Arsdale? Like seriously, you don't think about it. Dale told me yesterday, Dale, well, is he up there still? He said something about like the ministry of the little things. Is that what it was? And, and you think about Dan. And when Dale and I get up here, Dan's already here. And he's got the blower. And he's out there blowing the, the leaves off the sidewalk so you won't track them in here. You know, and he does it every single week. And Dale up there putting up with me in the soundboard. I drive him crazy. But he's consistent. And so Dale can yell at me, which he does. <laughs> but you know what? I love it. Literally. <laughs> I love that love it. <laughs> but you know, it's just like now y'all got it, right? <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> so you know, D- Dale's email address used to be dale at justloveit.com. But I always thought that was really cool. And what was the name of the clinic that one of your uncles had? Don't you love it? Okay. But I thought there was a clinic like... Yeah, so I had a clinic in Eastland, and it was called, one doctor's name was Payne, and the other doctor's name was Love It. 
So the literal name of the clinic was Pain and Love It. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if anybody wanted to go there, but I guess they, yes, they did. But I love the consistency. I love the fact that you can count on me to preach sermons that are too long. <laughs> but I'm going to finish this one, all right? Listen, a, a godly life is a godlike life. Now, in not every way are you able to be like God, are you? Some attributes he shares with you, some are only his. But here's one thing about God that's true. God never changes. He's always consistent. We can be like him in that way. We can strive for consistency. You know, it's not that hard to come to church every week. All right? Now you're like, well, yeah, you get paid to be here. True, true. But I was at church every week before I got paid to be there. All right? And I, and I have, there's like hundreds of you out here that are here all the time. Now, if you're sick and you're traveling, and there's reasons we miss, but don't just lay in bed. You know, get up. You get up for everything else. Get up and come, come fulfill. We need you here. You know, if it was just about you and you were just a consumer and you were just coming to here like you go to the grocery store, that's one thing. But that's not, that's not what this is. This is like if I got out of bed and, you know, like half of my body decided not to. Well, it doesn't work. It wasn't, it wouldn't, how well would have worked if half your face didn't show up today? Be weird. Well, that's how it is when you're gone. I mean, when, when y'all were gone, our, half of our face wasn't here. And we looked better. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But, no, but, but it's like, that's how it works. I mean, I realize there are situations where you can't be here. But if you're here and you're in town and you can make it, I'm telling you this. Make a choice. 2024, I'm a different decade. Uh, 2024, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in my spot because me being in my spot, singing with enthusiasm, opening up my Bible, listening to what the preacher says, saying amen, being engaged, that's going to encourage somebody. And what if just your consistency, what if just your presence is what it takes for someone to come into the kingdom? There is a ministry up here on the platform, okay? And maybe we don't do it well all the time. Christy, I don't know what happened, but you and I, we weren't on our A game today. But, you know, there's also a ministry in the pew. And Christy's like, well, I'm going to stay here. Uh, but, <laughs> but, there's a mini- but the ministry in the pew is there's people around you that you can be friendly to, that you can love, that they sit around you. We all sit in the same place. You see them every week. How was your week? That sermon ends. How, how did that sermon challenge you? What's something you thought about in that sermon about how you could live for Christ better this year? You know, those kind of questions. And you can look out for people and ask how they're doing and check on them. And when you see a new person, pay attention to them. Just that consistency uh, could make such a huge, huge difference. Let's, let's finish the sermon. So number seven, mature believer. Oh, I have, I have two number sevens. I guess I have nine points. <laughs> I actually have two number sevens. So I don't know how to count, but uh, we'll, we'll go. So this will actually be point number eight. A mature believer has a big God theology. Now, I'm just... I talked about this with my guys in Sunday school. When Isaiah saw the Lord, what did he say? I'm undone. I'm disintegrated. I'm blown up. Woe is me. I'm a man with unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. All right, so what happened to Isaiah there? He's cruising along, going to church, shows up in the temple. What does he see? He sees God, and it blows him up. It, it, It changes his life. He got a view of who God was. It showed him who he was. 
And it changed his life. Okay? Part of realizing a, 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 a big God theology is realizing God is not like you. Okay, the Lord, he, he doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. His thoughts are not like your thoughts. His ways are not like your ways. He says, as high as the heavens are above, that's how much higher his ways are than your ways. And I can go on and on, but the point is that if you think God is like you, if you always have a small view of God where he acts like a human and he thinks just like you and you, and you actually try to dictate what God is like, you're never gonna make it. But there's a lot of freedom, and if you don't hear anything else in the sermon, hear this. There's a lot of freedom in just letting God be God. Okay? So I talked to a Sunday school class today. One of our men said, you got to submit to an authority. you got to submit to an authority. Okay? And either you're going to be the authority in your life or something else is. But if you will let God be God and you can submit to that and you can trust him. So there's a lot of freedom when you just let God be God. Sparks a different reaction in your life. It'll blow you up, but it'll grow you up. And finally, number nine, a Christian who is mature, you like that, Verma? Yes. It'll blow you up. And <laughs> Verma likes the rhymes, so I need to rhyme more, okay. I thought of one yesterday. It was uh, sin kills, grace heals. That was uh, one I did yesterday, yeah. That's, thank you, thanks so much. Uh, <laughs> and finally, a Christian who is mature is one who is, so this is the, this is a biggie is one who's utterly reliant on the grace of God. I've talked to you a lot about doing things and being a part of this, but we have to realize a mature Christian isn't works-based. We're not doing all these things because we're trying to earn God's favor in some way or to look good in front of other people. A mature Christian is grace-based. We know our standing before God is not based on anything we've done. As I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling, the first thing that I know when I'm working it out is that Jesus did all the work. There's an unfolding of grace. There's a revelation of grace in the life of a believer. And the longer you live and the more you mature, when you become a more mature Christian, you will realize that you have a greater need for a Savior. My greatest need is Jesus. I realize my faults when I'm mature. If I'm maturing, I'm quick to admit my shortcomings, my weaknesses. And that is growth. You know, some people think not in the kingdom, growth isn't acting like, acting like you don't have any problems. The kingdom is being honest about your sin. And that helps me as we grow together. It helps me when I think of my own sinfulness and my own weaknesses. It helps me be patient with others. It helps me love others. It helps me explain the gospel to other people. So what do we do with it? What do we do when we're convicted? We resolve to obey. And maturity in the spirit is measured in repentance and obedience, not words. And we trust that God has the best for us when we rely 100% on his grace, 100% on his mercy, and 100% in his unconditional love for sinners. So what do we do with it? What do we do with it? We resolve. We say, Lord, I have a desire to be this. Help me, help me go this way by the grace of God. That it's only by the grace of God that I even want these things. And, and I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to resolve and I'm going to, I'm going to decide what clothes to put on. And, and I'm going to be a part of a community that, that is desiring to grow together. And I'm going to get in and do the word work so I can know the one who saved my soul. That's our prayer. That's our hope. So what do we do with it? Well, I just gave you nine things there. I could have made a list of 15, but then I'd really run over time. 
But the first step is to trust in Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him. If what I've said sounds like Greek and nonsense, then maybe the first thing for you is just to know Jesus and to know the joy of of salvation, of having all of your sins wiped clean. Not because you've done something great, but because Jesus did something for you when he died on the cross for your sins, when he was buried and he rose again. So put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then resolve to obey him and learn how to obey him through, through the work and the word and being a part of a community of faith and the spirit will use those things to mature you. Let's pray together.